0: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, outs, and nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is
1: Verhoeven's toupee.
0: What is Verhoeven's toupee? Well, it's a term that, quite frankly, we've coined. In protracted discussions about how fucking weird the year 2020 is, we've decided that we're living in a new and up until this point in history, undiscovered type of possible future world. One filled with bizarre head scratching events, profound stupidity, and a corporately controlled power structure unlike anything we've ever seen in the history of humanity. What are the specific tenets and components of a Rehoven's toupee, you may ask? Well, you'll have to listen and find out. Act one, a V2 rocket launcher is my best friend. Paul Verhoeven was born on July 18, 1938 in Amsterdam, Netherlands. Perhaps no filmmaker embodies the excess and garish lust for extremes of the 1980s as much as this Dutch director, screenwriter, and producer. He's primarily known for his balletic moldings of sexual depravity and blood-spattered violence. While his early career is filled with sleeper gems like Turkish delight, Soldier of Orange, and The Fourth Man, he's most widely recognized in America for his films Robocop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers. All of which are simultaneously big dumb American movies and sleek searing art house films in their exploitation and exhalation of the excesses that they revel in. For Hovind's most applicable film for this discussion is Starship Troopers. It's a brilliant parody of fascist propaganda films, much like those made in Nazi Germany. This was also a deeply personal film for Verhoeven because as a child, he grew up in a Nazi occupied territory where they installed a literal V2 rocket launching machine in his backyard.
1: The verisimilitude of that is like so striking of just like, of course, Nazis put a rocket launcher in his backyard. Like you watch his movies and you're just like, yep. That is exactly what happened to him. Mm-hmm. This would be something he grappled with for the rest of his life,
0: which segues perfectly into the topic of this episode. What is
1: a Verhoeven's toupee? For reference, a utopia is... A utopia is an imagined community or society that possesses highly desirable or nearly perfect qualities for its citizens. The term was coined by Sir Thomas More for his 1516 book Utopia, describing a fictional island society in the South Atlantic Ocean off the coast of South America. The opposite of utopia is a dystopia, which dominates the fictional literature. A utopia focuses on equality in such categories as economics, government, and justice, with the method and structure of proposed implementation varying based on ideology. Lyman Tower Sargent argues that utopia's nature is inherently contradictory because societies are not homogenous and have desires which conflict and therefore cannot simultaneously be satisfied. Additionally, a dystopia is A dystopia, or simply an anti-utopia, is a community or society that is undesirable or frightening. It is an antonym of utopia. Dystopias are often characterized by dehumanization, tyrannical governments, environmental disaster, or other characteristics associated with a cataclysmic decline in society. Dystopian societies appear in many fictional works and artistic representations, particularly in stories set in the future. Some of the most famous examples are Aldous Huxley's Brave New World from 1932, George Orwell's 1984, from 1949, and Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, from 1953. Dystopian societies appear in many subgenres of fiction and are often used to draw attention to society, environment, politics, economics, religion, psychology, ethics, science, or technology. Some authors use the term to refer to existing societies, many of which are, or have been, totalitarian states or societies in an advanced state of collapse. Both of these possible futures are commonly
0: recognized, however, what if we told you that there's quite possibly a third world that we could all be living in right now, and that that world is a Verhoeven's toupee? Andrew, before we go into this kind of pithy one-line summation of what we've coined a Verhoeven's toupee, how would you kind of... Jesus fucking Christ. What the fuck was that? That sounded like a bomb, dude. For sure. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. So all of the cars in my parking lot are going off. What? the? And fucking shit! Some the the I think the kids in the neighborhood are shooting fireworks, but they're like legitimately.
1: Yeah, they're just like it's like 15 right, 15 right feet out from there. my house. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Oh my yeah. God, that- What the fuck? I mean, I can only imagine you literally there. Cause if I was there, my reaction would not have even have been as reserved as yours. Like I would be gone. I would be like, like you You would have just seen me run out of the house or not even out of the house, but like, I don't even know. I don't even know what the fuck I would have done. Bro, that shit was so loud. That All the, all the anxieties of the time. I was just like, it's starting. Oh Jesus. Also, can we just say that this is a Verhoeven's dupe? Yes, it is. A hundred percent, which is why we're even going to leave this in because normally I would just cut this out. So, getting us back on, on topic, before I
0: give the actual pithy definition of what a.
1: Don't say this. I have PTSD for this sentence you're saying right now.
0: <laughs> before I give it, what, Andrew, maybe if you could just talk like just the, a, the brief 30 second history of the Verhovens dupe, how did it start? When did I where did when did we start saying it? I think I said it first maybe.
1: We talked about this off the podcast. I was going through a bunch of thought experiments and thinking about the idea that it's very surreal that for a certain percentage of the population in the United States, the cognitive dissonance between the fact that, you know, we can sit here and be in our houses and we can open up an app and order dinner And have somebody, you know, bring it to our door, you know, just all the commercials that still play where people are like, you know, come to Walmart and we're doing everything safe and we have masks on and it's great and you're going to get some deals or whatever. And then that just juxtaposed with the things that are happening every day in the world sort of beyond that crust of what the capitalist society is trying to tell us is the world. The cognitive dissonance between those two things has never been more disparate. And I was thinking about the idea that, you know, it's so bizarre that we don't live in this traditional idea of what we think of as a dystopian society that's from science fiction. But we certainly don't live in a utopia. But in certain respects, we do live in a utopia. What I said was we live in a consumerist utopia where everything else is kind of rotting and decaying. But the one thing that is utopian in nature is the easy access to goods and services and how efficient it all has become. We were talking about that uh, a lot. Over a period of a couple of weeks. And then on the act of killing episode, the the Joshua Oppenheimer episode, I brought that up and I talked about this idea that we live in a consumerist utopia, but a societal dystopia. And that was whenever we coined it. You, you, you coined it. I said that it's not utopian or dystopian, it's like Verhoeven-esque. And then you said it's it's like Verhoven's toupee.
0: So, the definition that we've arrived at for what a Verhoeven's toupee actually is, the concise one-sentence summary of that ethereal feeling of like, do we live in a fucking alternate dimension, this feels like a movie, all of those emotions that everyone's been feeling for 2020, that kind of gets boiled down into a Verhoeven's toupee is if a dystopia became self-aware, got bored... And then started parodying itself, which one I think is really funny, maybe that's just me being <laughs> ego uh centric or something and thinking that the things that we make on this podcast are genuinely funny, but that summary of this year i feel like is so apt like it it really wouldn't i don't i've i s I think I even said that jokingly on the podcast too, right didn't I say that
1: yeah i mean and it, yeah it it is funny, but it's also. It's also just really accurate. It's so dark. It's so dark. I feel that every day. I mean, I feel that just last night. I feel like I feel it every time I watch TV because we were watching SNL last night. And, you know, the, the commercials that play in between when you're streaming, they feel like commercials that are playing on a TV in the background in a science fiction movie. Like it's just they feel unreal. And I think the first time I started noticing that, I think maybe the origins of this thought process from way back when is we used to work in an office building in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. I don't want to be there.
0: Weezer fucking sucks now.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: They used to be good, but Rivers Cuomo doesn't
1: give a shit and likes money. Rivers Cuomo went into a room for six months and told himself he was going to write the perfect pop song. And then he did in his mind. And then after that, he just gave up and felt like he accomplished everything he needed to accomplish. And now he just does whatever he needs to do to make money. So we, you know, in the lobby of the, of the building, you know, there's a door person. And then there's a TV, a big TV, like in the wall, just in the lobby. And it's all, and it's like, it's kind of like an ornate. It's not just like some TV. It's like this big screen. That's like set into the wall. And you pass by it to get into the elevators to go up to your office, your suite. And I started making the observation back then, and this was this was back in 2018 or so, that every time I walked through the lobby, whatever was on the TV seemed like something that would be playing in the background in a scene in RoboCop.
0: Yeah, it's basically kind of like really bad world building. Yeah. In real life, like it's everywhere you go, there's like a shitty screenwriter ham-fistedly trying to deliver exposition about how weird and othered this universe is. And it doesn't quite work all the time. You're, you're like, people think this? And so because of that, because of these conversations that we've had both on and off the podcast, um, we've come up with a list kind of of, of attributes or basic tenets, almost kind of yardsticks for how to measure a a Verhoeven's toupee, and there's seven defining characteristics that make up a Verhoeven's toupee. And the first and most primary one is that fascism becomes a constant, but also the term fascism becomes meaningless, which is a really bizarre disconnect. Um, The fact that both people on the far right and the far left call each other fascist is such a bizarre disconnect to me. It's so weird to me that that term has become interchangeable because it's it's a term that's so large that it kind of has lost all of its meaning. Like you don't have people on the far left calling alt-right neo-Nazis communists and you don't have you know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a one way term, even though the it's not really applicable In the way that it's used as a derogatory term, it's not something that both sides throw at each other, which is really fascinating to me. That this idea of fascism, which is the one true empiric evil that everyone can get behind, is so evil that it has lapped itself and now doesn't mean anything. And so everybody constantly points to everything and says it's fascist. And so... Based off of that, I feel like it's our moral imperative to go through this dumb little basic tenets of what may actually makes up fascism. This is very simple and reductive, but also most Americans I don't think actually know what the term fascist
1: means. Verhoven's commandments.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: The early warning signs of fascism. Powerful and continuing nationalism. Disdain for human rights. Identification of enemies as a unifying cause supremacy of the military, rampant sexism, controlled mass media, obsession with national security, religion and government intertwined, corporate power protected, labor power suppressed, disdain for intellectuals and the arts, obsession with crime and punishment, rampant cronyism and corruption, fraudulent elections.
0: So I feel like just briefly, a powerful and continuing nationalism would be Make America great again.
1: Literally hugging an American flag, which is just the most disingenuous, like, I'm literally like waving like a shiny metal object in front of a baby thing that you could do in 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 terms of jingoism.
0: Um, a disdain for human rights. Oh, maybe like separating children and their parents who've come across the border illegally. Did they break the law and come here illegally? Yes. But come on, man. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't. They're not fucking people. Are you fucking kidding me?
1: And more than that, the discourse around it, which is this idea, which I think hits on this disdain for human rights thing more pointedly, which is when you discuss these things, what is said over and over again, which is common rhetoric for not only this, but a lot of other things like this is they shouldn't have broke the law. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this idea of like, because you broke the law in any capacity, you deserve literally anything in return. You could steal a candy from a gas station. And if you get beheaded by the gas station owner, you deserved it because you broke the law and that you, you would be alive and you would have your head if you hadn't have stolen that piece of candy. And there's no, there's no nuance or discussion of like, that is a completely disproportionate reaction to what happened. It's just all this, this just complete, capital punishment for any amount of crime with impunity
0: identification of enemies as unifying cause hmm maybe like calling people from mexico rapists and drug dealers maybe like constantly saying that people like what's her name gretchen whitmer the governor of michigan who was almost kidnapped in that plot by radicalized crazy white gun-toting fuckheads that she is a domestic terrorist it's shocking and i i I think a lot of people are just numb to him now and have just accepted so much of the things that have happened that this is the new normal. And that's the point of a Verhoeven's toupee is that it is this is not normal. Like we every opportunity, even though you sound like a broken record to say this is not normal. This is not okay. This is a fucking this is actual fascism, not the they're doing something I disagree with. Like, no, this is literal fascism. Rampant sexism, like being accused of assault by 26 women and still being elected to the highest office in the land, like constantly trying to repeal healthcare and women's choice issues throughout all of the courts. I don't even need to continue uh, on that front. Saying
1: we're trying to get your husbands back to work, which is just like sounds like something that Lyndon Johnson would have said. No shit. Control of the
0: mass media inside of this point is a disdain for media that is not under your control, which means you're, you know, then trying to manipulate circumstances so that anybody who doesn't agree with you is culturally discredited or viewed as a liar, which is how, I mean, the Nazis literally had a term for it where they would discredit, I think it roughly translated to like lying reporters. And we have that too. It's called fake news. The parallels are so blatant, it's frustrating to no end. Obsession with national security. We need to fucking make a giant wall. Religion and government intertwined. Mr. President, is that your Bible? It's a Bible. Corporate power protected. The massive tax cut that he cut that only serves the 1% and services corporations. Labor power suppressed. Our boy Orange 45 out here being like, uh no, you-, you guys don't need to have more uh PPE or you know means of protecting yourself people in the healthcare facility uh, healthcare industry that that's fine like just do the job like stop stop doing this just just you don't need rights you don't need to be taken care of teachers just do your job we're all going to open schools we're going to open schools it doesn't matter if your life is at risk we're going to open schools that's what needs to happen a disdain for intellectuals and the arts literally yesterday he was giving a, a stump speech and for some reason started rambling on about lady gaga And he just kept saying, I could tell you stories, I could tell you stories
1: about Lady
0: Gaga, Lady Gaga.
1: Like, what? Well, he's, I mean, that's, he's dog whistling QAnon because Lady Gaga is one of the people that they think is one of the- Yes, yeah, absolutely. But it still is just like- Satanists.
0: What the fuck does that even mean? Like, I mean, I know, yes, you're, yes, it is, but come on, what the fuck? Um- Obsession with crime and punishment. He literally tweets law and order all the time. He wants Antifa, which is a political mindset, not an actual organized group, to be persecuted and brought up on legal charges, which is like, it's not a, they're not a gang. It's a, it's, that's like saying we should have people who are fans of the color blue.
1: Yeah, but I mean, and, and yeah, I, I'm a little, I'm a little of two minds on that though, because I wish that nobody had ever coined that term
0: antifa yeah
1: we should have just said anti-fascist i wish we had never coined that term or i wish nobody had ever coined that term because it was it was handing them a straw man on a silver platter i think that fascists use labels to create straw man arguments and uh yeah i just i just wish that term never was created
0: but that's the point though is that it is a term not yeah exactly Like, like i'm
1: saying i'm not trying to like play devil's advocate of like Well, he has a point or whatever. It's more of just not giving somebody ammunition. This is a piece of rhetoric that, you know, there's never going to be any leeway on it. Nobody's ever going to accept this as the truth. But there's no such thing as an organization called Antifa. There's no group of people who are organized in any way whatsoever. There are people who are organized in groups under other organizations that also identify as being anti-fascist. But Antifa is not an organization. It's just like saying that you are gluten intolerant or something.
0: Then the last two, rampant cronyism and corruption. We both know that these motherfuckers are super corrupt, which is why almost everyone in Trump's administration that doesn't work there right now is either in prison or in court about to go to prison. Um, Also, Donald Trump's son responding to an email offering politically damaging documents from the Russians saying, if it's true what you say, I love it. And finally, fraudulent elections, which that is something we will talk about later at length. Um, but but I feel like everybody listening to this, because this episode is going to come out the day after the election, and so you will either know in the future what the election has turned out to be, or you will be stuck in a morass of still... Not really knowing because let's be real. We're probably not going to know immediately because the world is fucked up.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to speak for you, Dave. This episode is going to ruffle feathers no matter what. We've had a couple of listeners who've reached out and expressed that they feel like we have presented biased views on certain things. Those reactions have ranged from relatively reasonable of someone just saying like, hey, just to let you know, you know, I just I just wish you guys presented more of an alternative perspective. Totally civil and I get it. I get listening to a podcast, like psychologically, when you listen to a podcast, I think your brain can sometimes get tricked into feeling like you're having a conversation that you can't engage in. And I've definitely listened to podcasts where I've gotten like really frustrated because I'm just like, that's so wrong. Or like they're trying to think of something and I'm like, I know what it is. Like it's this, but then you can't say it. I get the frustration of that. It's ranged from that to people being like, you are biased extremists. You're radicalized leftists. I'm never listening again. And, uh, you know, I, obviously I, I appreciate the more measured uh, reactions and I respect everybody's, uh, you know, opinion to a, to a certain extent. The place where I draw the line is when that opinion crosses over into either, you know, hatred and bigotry or supporting and validating hatred and bigotry. But if you just have a difference of opinion and, you know, it's, it's just something that's different from my perspective, I, I totally respect that. But either way, it's been kind of funny to me because I'm like, man, we got that reaction to say like we're biased extremists. And that's so strange to me because I feel like we have barely touched on politics of any kind in this show. Obviously, this episode is completely different, but our show is not supposed to be political. It's a explainer show and we don't necessarily want to make it political. We want it to be an entertaining show, but we're also not going to play the Michael Jordan card and just like go out of our way to never address it.
0: Uh, If a hot dog company and an underwear company and... uh a uh, you know and and what does he have what is it tequila a tequila company if they all want to give me billions of dollars then yeah maybe I'll shut the fuck up for a couple minutes but until then <laughs> fuck these fascists
1: Yes. Yeah. if it comes up we will freely talk about things but that being said we've barely talked about it it's come up like a couple times vaguely and so it's very interesting to me that somebody had such a reaction to the few times we've touched on it vaguely to call us radical extremists like that just seems so strange to me.
0: But 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 you but one that review was a one star review on our podcast on the Apple Podcasts, and you know how it is, man. It's one guy. You know what I mean? Like you presenting it as like a measured, like the, our listeners are saying this about us. It's not really accurate, like. Our our listeners are really intelligent people, and they have a variety of different opinions, and in our Facebook group, we all talk about those things, and there's heated debates, and I don't always agree with everybody, but it's interesting to see different points of view. There's a difference between that and somebody who is just on the other side of the political spectrum and is against Ideas like, oh, I don't know, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, it's, I, just, it's, I, a,
1: it's a different thing. I don't mean to, I don't mean to suggest that a bunch of our listeners are having these viewpoints. I, like, it, it is isolated incidents. It's a handful of times where I mean that was it, I mean it's pretty much like a couple times when somebody has had that reaction, and then a handful of times where people have just said like, oh, I I disagree, and I feel like you should have more perspectives on the show. And the one thing that I've seen, though, whether whether the reaction was more measured or whether it was more you guys are libtards or whatever, that word biased has come up a lot. There's never been a, an opportunity to say this because I don't want to turn any episode into like some kind of soapbox of like, listen here or whatever. But I guess this is as good a time This is as pretty
0: much just the soapbox um, episode.
1: <laughs> but I understand the idea of presenting alternative perspectives. And I want to be as open-minded and consider multiple perspectives as possible. And I also want to be objective and present facts and not lie or present things as if they're true when they're not necessarily true and present opinion as fact. But I find it interesting that people have used that word and said bias multiple times because I don't know whether it's a misunderstanding or whether it is some kind of facetious dog whistling where when they say bias, what they really mean is, you just aren't saying the things that I want to hear. If you are blatantly biased saying what I wanted to hear this review wouldn't happen. But either way, we're an entertainment show. We don't have a responsibility to be bipartisan. We're not a news program. We have no obligation or responsibility to present both sides of an argument. Like we are an entertainment program. We clearly have opinions and biases and they're just going to come out in the show. We're not news anchors. We're not journalists.
0: But but also, I just want to drill down into that slightly because this both sides conversation is something that is a relic from another era. Yeah, and
1: that's a different, that's a different, con- I'm not even trying. I know yeah. you're not,
0: I know you're not, but that's where the, the root emotion comes from, the desire for these conversations to be had in a way where both viewpoints are coming to the table equitably. And then for the individuals having a conversation describing those viewpoints to present two viewpoints that are best case scenarios, right? That are people coming to the, t- table with best of intentions right and there are periods in our history where we have had areas that are surrounded in gossamer and gray and are very multiplanal and difficult for people to wrap their heads around and that's when it's important to have loads of perspectives it's not a black and white thing america is such a weird binary country we think cats and dogs are two sides of the same coin like what the fuck is that about but in the world that we live in right now there is a clear and present literal danger, and then there's a bunch of other people. Yeah. That is not a, a two-sides conversation, and that's one of the things that our country has grappled with over the last four years, and why the Verhoeven's dupe is so potent, because there's a surreality that surrounds anyone attempting to foist empathy or any sort of goodwill onto the people who are currently in a position of power. And normally... I wouldn't be so black and white about things. I would, I would. you know, do I think that George Bush was a war criminal? Yes. Do I think that he's probably a person who got caught up in a machine and things got away from him and he was manipulated and all of these different aspects? Do I think that Halliburton's billion-dollar contracts were involved in our wars in the Middle East? Yes. I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's empirically bad. But there's a difference between that, which is war profiteering and is a horrible horrible thing that happened
1: and obama too i mean the, the and the
0: drone warfare that obama did and the drone strikes in syria it's awful there's every presidential campaign in america um has is is gilded with fascism 100 percent. i completely believe that but there is a difference between hey guys Um, America is a bully and we're pushing people around and we're war profiteering, which is objectively bad. And what is happening right now in the country where we're going to have a fucking dictator in 15 minutes if we don't really get our shit together. And it might be too late. It literally, like by the time you're listening to this, it might be too late. If Trump wins this election, I don't know that he's leaving. He might he might die but it it is a really bad situation even if he fucking loses it's we're still in deep shit but it is it is we're not in a good spot
1: yeah and the thing that i ultimately wanted to say is people have emotional reactions to things that they hear and it's 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 interesting because whenever whenever i read like negative reviews of our show specifically Uh, I'm more fascinated by reading them and kind of being able to read between the lines and kind of pick apart what happened and what is really the root of what's being said. And and it's funny because a lot of times I'll read a review and people will say something, a negative review, and they'll say something. They'll say something as if it was a blanket statement of like, I didn't like this thing that they do. And I'm reading it. I'm like, I know exactly what they're talking about. I'll use a really innocent version of this. We've gotten negative reviews that said that we say like and um too much. They say like and um too much. It's annoying. But the thing about that is, is that I do. You don't. They're referring to me, but they've like lumped us both into it of like we both do it. But that's not true. It's just me. But like in that weird abstract, having an emotional reaction to something and then summing it up into one sort of simple idea, they've combined both of us into a composite of like, yeah, I listened to that podcast and they just say like and um a lot. And that's an innocent example of it. But that happens a lot where I read reviews and I'm like, I can see kind of like they're referring to this, but they're like acting like it happens all the time, even though it was just in this one episode that they're referring to, or it's just one or it's just one of us, but they're acting like both of us do it or whatever. So in that spirit, as we're reading this and as we're talking about this, the emotional reaction that people are going to have or the, the people who are going to have the reaction, not not everybody, but the people who are going to have this reaction, the emotional reaction that they're going to have is when we're saying these things about how there's fascists and Trump is doing this and Trump is doing that, they're going to take it as like, he's talking about me because I'm a conservative. He's talking about me he's saying I'm a fascist or he's saying that like, my beliefs are objectively wrong. And the thing is, is like, I have no problem with conservatives. I disagree with 99.8% of all conservative ideology, all of the political and belief structures that, that that revolve around modern conservatism. But I have no problem with conservatives and I have no problem with people believing that. But this is a different thing. That's where my like reaching across the aisle ends. Sure, I'll sit here and be like, yeah, I have no problem with you for you're conservative. I'm not going to shun you or shame you if you aren't a progressive and if you believe in conservative values and if you're religious and all these things. I don't hate you, but that ends with this, if you love Donald Trump and you think that everything he's doing is great, I'm sorry, but I I'm just not going to meet you halfway on that.
0: Just to put a fine point on this first fascism component the you know, the the number one uh, building block of Verhoeven's commandments uh, is that an early sign of a Verhoeven's toupee is that people lose grip on what is or is not fascism. And so because of the word, um, because that word uh, becomes overused and meaningless, it just becomes completely dead. All the while, actual fascism grows and spreads like wildfire, which I feel like is a fairly accurate representation of what's happened over the last couple, four years you know, in, in this country. And it was happening before Trump, but he was able to galvanize it. And the scariest part of this t- for me is that once Trump is gone, there will be another person that fills that role that is going to be a better linguist that is going to be smarter and that is going to be better at doing the Trump playbook because Trump is kind of like a fucking kid in a candy shop in that he's adult and he's old and not actually that charismatic. He's kind of just like a fucking napalm ball where you want to look at it because it's so bright, but it's not something that, you know, speaks to you on an emotional level. It's just like, oh, fuck, that's crazy. Look at that giant you know mess over there i want to i'm drawn to that because of the commotion number two on verhove the the list of components that make up a Rehov and toupee is that shame is meaningless that a society degrades to the point where the idea of being shamed is something that is just non-applicable to certain people um and there's multiple ways that this functions um obviously i think the obvious parallel is, is Trump and his he constantly lies about dumb shit like he's just constantly not telling the truth and doesn't care that he's easily proven wrong because the next day he'll be on to something else and he has he has no need for shame because the world that he lives in um, doesn't admonish him for those things and when it does he just ignores it and um, Rudy Giuliani is another perfect uh, example of this. You, One of the ways the, that I was kind of like internally diagnosing this was the grabber by the pussy syndrome, where a normal non Verhoeven to pay reality. If someone had that tape leak weeks before the election, it would be over. It'd be done. But that's not the world we live in anymore because we have media echo chambers and algorithmically driven Facebook groups and and uh a world where everyone makes their own reality and so the cultural yardsticks that used to be universal the monoculture that people you know are nostalgic for when they say music used to be good but music isn't good anymore that's a benign version of this erosion of monoculture um now till the the
2: day i die
0: The, 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 the dangerous side of that nostalgic impulse of things used to be better when is that we don't share the same morals anymore. We don't collectively agree that it's bad to lie, which is crazy.
1: Well, yeah, it's as if there was a building that was like we all lived in a big building. There was a thermostat that set the temperature for the whole building. And whether or not it was good that it was being controlled by one person is, up for debate. but now everybody has their own thermostat in their own little space. You could be like in one room. it's the Mr. Freeze's lair from Batman and Robin with Arnold Schwarzenegger running around making puns and shit. ice to meet you. yeah, and then you walk into the next room and it's like a sauna. the culture shock of walking from one room to the next is like, Jesus, like now I gotta take off this jacket and all this stuff. as a society, as a country, when it comes to stuff like what kind of TV shows are made and all that stuff, who cares? Go off and, you know, this, this streaming service can make these TV shows and you can watch those and then this streaming service can make these and you watch those and that's good. But as a society, as a country, how do we coexist and cooperate and collaborate and just exist w- with each other when we just fundamentally see different realities? How are we going to function like that? I have no idea.
0: The uh, the kind of like summation of this kind of um, shame is meaningless thing uh, that we have here reads, shame, once the yardstick of culture, the way we held each other accountable and suppressed our lower impulses will become null and void. A certain sect of the population will just stop feeling empathy and in turn stop feeling shame. The next entry is the fact that reality becomes so elastic that satire stops being easily recognizable. Citizens trapped in a Verhoeven's toupee will find it hard to parse what is truth and what is actually fiction. Reality will become so fast-paced and bizarre that it will feel like living... (laughs) Fucking Christ. That it will feel... Reality will become so fast-paced and bizarre that it will feel like living inside a Saturday Night Live skit. For
1: years at a time. That's an interesting way to put it. I watched all of Parks and Rec in 2011 when it was first airing, and then again in 2017 with my wife. No, nothing. Okay.
0: Oh, my wife. Sorry, my wife. Wa- my wife.
1: Both of those times, 2017 being not that long ago, the town hall scenes, which is like throughout the show several times and throughout every season they'll have a scene where they're in a town hall and they're addressing whatever the issue of the episode is. It's like a town hall improv scene. And the game of it is that all the town hall members are going to stand up and say their piece and they're going to say some batshit crazy stuff that's just serving to like try to throw the people holding the town hall off and then they have to react to it. And that's what those scenes are where, you know, The The Parks and Recreation Department will go have a town hall and people will stand up and they'll just say insane, maddening, bizarre shit that's like these people are horrible. This is like this is like a terrible town. It's the worst town in the whole country. But we rewatched it recently in the last month or so. I was struck with the fact that between 2017 and now those town hall scenes to me, reality has caught up to them. They aren't even exaggerated anymore. They aren't parodies. Like the things that the people say in those scenes, people literally say the same stuff in real life. People actually act that way. And with SNL, the thing that I've thought is, I feel a responsibility to kind of as a side note, defend SNL and say all these people who are just like SNL stop being funny blah 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 it sucks now or whatever like
0: yeah but that's no but that's anybody who says that doesn't watch SNL live it's the same thing with the X-Men whatever whenever you first started reading or watching it it was great and then as soon as they changed it a little bit then it wasn't good and it was never ever good after that even though it's been going for 50 years and people have loved it the whole time so you know what no that's just that's just people being you know the, the you know, you you have your time in life with whatever the given thing is, and then maybe you mature and move on, and the thing isn't for you anymore. That's fine, but that doesn't mean it's empirically bad. Except for periods of the X Men, which are empirically bad, but they're also <laughs> good right now. They're good right now. So,
1: yeah. But the one thing I will say is the political sketches for the last four years, particularly the opening, the cold open sketches, they have devolved into. Scenes where the the characters playing the politicians, like, there's no jokes. They just literally say things that people said in real life. The sketches have become them just doing a greatest hits of things that the people have really said.
0: This next one, uh, number four, for those keeping track on the components of what make up a Verhoeven's toupee, is something I've been thinking a lot about. It's a term I've coined cockroach skimming, and it's basically... The practice of appearing anywhere and espousing horrendously ignorant beliefs with the understanding that you're not going to appeal to the majority of people, but a select few who will become foot soldiers for you. This is the main tactic used by individuals espousing repugnantly racist views, um, just as one example. Surprising amounts of power can be gained this way. Trump, David Duke, Mark Sargent, they all kind of have the same thing where you just You just, as long as you're in the public eye saying things, you know that like 1% of people will, you'll pick up. And over a year of doing that, 1% of millions of people looking at you is a lot of fucking people. And then those people can go and influence their social circles. And now you have large numbers of people who were normally kind of sane, normal, everyday, workaday people who probably don't think about Whatever the given political topic is, starting to be radicalized and shifted in a specific direction. So it's this almost kind of passive workaround for like gaslighting an entire culture.
1: Yeah. And it's, there's, there's, there's a couple of moving parts to that. The first thing, I mean, most recently, one, one of the most recent, like literally as of, you know, today, events that is kind of in this vein is this thing where, there was a you know the 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 biden campaign was driving through texas you know to to a rally and they were surrounded by a parade like a convoy of of trump supporters which you know i think that that comes off to me as menacing and threateningly violent and just not something that i want to be happening but if that was all that happened like okay i guess if a bunch of just fucking trump supporters just really wanted to like go out there and be like fuck you biden or whatever like okay but they like literally rammed one of the cars and like drove her off the road like just a woman they like rammed the car and drove her off the road that is fucked to me that is Just empirically scary and horrible. But at rallies, Donald Trump like praised it and Marco Rubio talked about it when he was when he was opening up for a rally in Florida and they were talking about it and just acting like it was this great thing. And number one, it was dependent on leaving out the detail that they like literally ran one of the cars off the road and like rammed it. And there was and like they had, you know, leaving out that detail and just presenting it as this vague thing of Trump supporters showing their passion. And number two, and this is where I think liberals and Democrats and progressives kind of they get hung up on this thing. And I think it is to their detriment. You see this event, which is scary. And violent, and you see them like praising it and you're like, well, is anyone looking at this? They're just like openly glorifying violent acts of domestic terrorism. And and then just thinking that everybody is going to be like, you're right. We need to put put a stop to this and just thinking that it's going to be a gotcha moment. Liberals are so obsessed with gotcha moments. Everybody look, look at this thing that they did. This is surely the final straw, right? This is the smoking gun and it never is. Because they don't care. It doesn't matter if a bunch of progressives clutch their pearls at it. That doesn't affect them. Because it's not their base. It's not their followers. Who cares what they think? Why, whenever J.K. Rowling said her horribly transphobic views... Did she get heavily ostracized and draw a ton of criticism and have you know legions of her fans sort of abandon her? And I hate using buzzwords and things like that because like I said, I feel like it just gives people ammunition to like use straw man arguments and things like that, but she got canceled. Why did that happen to her when she said that? But when you know Joe Rogan has said all of his constant, horribly transphobic rhetoric on his podcast, why has nothing happened to him? And the answer is, You can't get canceled by somebody who isn't your fan. It just doesn't happen. Your actual fan base has to care. And so, as you're talking about, as this, you know, the cockroach skimming paradigm, while everybody else is around being like, is anybody gonna do something about this? Like, this is fucked up. Surely this is too far, right? No, because they don't think that. All those people at that rally are fucking loving it. They think it's great. They agree. The
0: the next piece of the puzzle, number five on the list of components that make up a Verhoeven's toupee is the tiny hands stratagem, which means the opposing side of whatever the people in position of power are that are enacting this, you know, pro-fascist Verhoeven's toupee world, the opposing side will attempt to use memes to mock those in power, and it will have little to no effect because everything is so weird, humor loses its edge and just becomes static. Internet comedy is no substitute for actual political action. And that's something that I think, I hope, I pray that when you're listening to this, there has been evidence of a widespread, massive political turnout, the likes of which our country has not seen in hundreds of years. I fear that there are a lot of people on Twitter who like to subtweet and say, at real Donald Trump, you're a piece of shit. And that's as far as their political motivations go Um, because voting is hard because it means you have to go to a website and fucking put your name and address in there and then show up at a day or I don't know, vote by mail. Um, And that takes effort. And that takes an internal sense of conviction where it's very easy to be outraged on Twitter for five minutes and then go eat a bucket of ice cream. Um, And this expectation that attempting to mock someone into not being a dictator is going to do anything is just horrendously abhorrent to me and it drives me fucking crazy when i see these tidal waves of memes that are supposedly going to save us which is just not the reality that we live in if we don't if we can't tell what is a real piece of satire and what is reality, I don't think that we're going to be able to take a religious conviction from a fucking omagurd meme. I don't think that's going to happen.
1: Yeah. And I also think that another tentacle of that is that people have systematically dismantled the power of satire and comedy to actually be effective towards criticism. There's been this slow normalization of this idea, the way that everybody just thinks the same and they just say the same things and these ideas and viewpoints in in and of themselves become memes it reminds me of just back in the day working retail and that phenomenon you'd experience where every customer would say the same shit if they brought up an item and it didn't have a price tag on it what do they say they say oh this doesn't have a price tag i guess that means it's free huh And you say, "Do you want a bag?" They, uh, without fail, they say they either say yes or they say nah. Save a plastic tree every time, and like they all think that they are the ones that said that to you. You are the tenth person that said that to me today. It's like that, and the one thing that I've seen a lot is people will share will share memes that are either like openly offensive or are misinformation blatant lies easily fact-checked and dismantled in like a second and whenever you say like hey this is wrong or like this is a lie or whatever they all say it's just a meme bro it's gaslighting it's like they they act like they're just posting weird shit and they don't actually stand behind it but the things that you share you are responsible for the ideas that you're propagating. It doesn't matter how insignificant you think of yourself in the scheme of things, the things that you share, you are responsible for what you're representing. And if you're just posting shit, that's like blatantly lies and false. You can't just say it's just a meme, bro, because that's just, it's bullshit. You are representing that you are putting that idea out in the world. You are propagating it. You are validating it by proxy And so many people are so susceptible to just believing things sight unseen that you have a responsibility not to continue filling the world with misinformation. But in that paradigm, jokes and memes are just meaningless now. They are seen and accepted by just whoever wants to see them and accept them. It's like these, it's these like echo chambers where you share like an anti-Trump meme or like, like a post where you like totally owned a, a conservative and totally called them out on something and you repost your screenshot of your tweets or whatever your friends are going to be like yeah and that's it that's the end of the story you've done nothing else you've you have not affected the world in any way other than your friends think you're badass i guess
0: next on the list is mark Sargent's five o'clock shadow which I wrote before we interviewed Mark Sargent. And now knowing that he shaves every day and never gets a five o'clock shadow, it's even funnier to me that this is called Mark Sargent's five o'clock shadow.
1: (laughs) What a weird detail about him. New
0: conspiracy theories grow practically overnight. Ignorance is promoted. The more outlandish, the better. Media literacy reaches an all-time low, which is coupled with a rapid spread of misinformation that will prove damaging. We've talked about this at length on the show before the rise of conspiratorial thought being kind of mainstream with the QAnon movement, algorithmically driven Facebook groups propagating this ignorance and, uh, xenophobia. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, it's a weird fucking time. You know, we've both talked in the past about how we used to be big fans of conspiracy theories. I love Bigfoot. I love alien
1: abduction stories. I'm fascinated by them. Um, I mean, I even I even I even loved some of the slightly more malevolent stuff just from a outsider perspective. I, you know, I was I was into watching David Icke videos and learning about like fucking reptilian shit. And, you know, even that stuff was was fun at a a point. Yeah, because you could just be like, yeah, these fucking crazy people that just think this weird thing. But who cares? It's like you know it's like it's like nambla it's like there's a there's some organization that out there that believes that like love between a man and a boy is okay but like who gives a fuck they're just like nobody's ever going to accept that that's never like that's never going to be adopted in any kind of mass scale way like literally well nobody would i i I hate to i hate to do this to you but in a verhoven's toupee All bets are off. Well, that's what I'm saying is like, this is the equivalent, the conspiracy theory stuff that's gained massive ground in the last couple of years. It's the equivalent of if somehow NAMBLA just became huge and a bunch of people started thinking that it was like the right way to live. If just out of nowhere, people were just like, yeah, there's millions of NAMBLA members now and they all like they're everywhere and they're holding protests in the streets.
0: And finally, I feel like this is a perfect transition the, the last data point of what makes up our Verhoevens to pay. Number seven, the thing that we're going to end this act on and go to a commercial break because even we need to make money off of the Sklar brothers. Welcome to Sklar country and Bob Saget's podcast and uh, Hillsmer trying to buy some Pixie Box books. <laughs> uh, the last component is that we're living in the stupidest possible timeline uh it basically just permeates every inch of every day it's just a vague sense that you're in a parallel timeline at all times and that the timeline you're living in has a really soft sense of humor and it's just really
1: really really dumb at every turn yeah it's like it's like the mandela effect where there's like the version of reality that's the the berenstain bears where it's like s-t-a-i-n and then there's the version of reality where it was the bernstein bears with s-t-e-i-n but then if there was a third one where the jan and stan Bernstein just like somehow got a publishing deal and just released bags of shit and little kids it's just- like if the it's like if the bernstein bears just bought a live streaming
0: setup and set up like a, a MyCams account and just started fucking on camera and they just made books about that yeah OnlyFans, Bernstein Bears, and Bernstein Bears—they have—they have dual they have dual accounts. So they can double up on the. Ugh, um, oh God, ugh.
1: Dave's got a new Star Trek comic miniseries coming out from IDW called Seven's Reckoning. I don't know why you'd want to book with a bunch of drawings of people from a canceled TV show. But if you, for whatever reason, did, it drops on November 11th. But it's probably smarter to pre-order it because it lets the vendors know that there's demand. And if you want to pre-order it, you have to use the following code.
0: scp 200 Yeah. SCP-200455. 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 Hail, Space Satan. Act two. Sometimes you need a toupee, even when you aren't bald. The origin of the term Verhoeven's toupee is directly related to the fact that art inspires life, which then in turn inspires art. It's a snake eating its own tail. But what happens when the snake develops an addiction to a finely ground powder made up of ground up snake skin that's been sloughed off and then chemically treated to turn it into a super intelligent form of cocaine? Well, that's when you get shit being weird that's when you cross the verhovian hair club for men parallel and full-on enter the strange and forbidden land known to its shockingly large number of occupants as a verhoven's toupee much like the iconic film director of verhoven's Toupe takes itself really seriously even when it's obviously in the wrong and stupid and spreading lies and hate and it's just really fucking dumb to delve deeper into the previously mentioned Starship Troopers, here's the Chapo Trap House guys hosting a screening of Starship Troopers.
3: I, uh, I also, uh, because it's a, a Paul Verhoeven movie, of course, you're going to get a ton of gore, but also a lot of gratuitous nudity as well. Yeah. He really, really is the auteur of gratuitous sex and violence. Yes. Which is probably why we like him so much. But it's Yeah, because like, it's, it's art. Well, it's art in that he pushes it so, for, so far past it being gratuitous that, in fact, it becomes art.
4: Yeah, that's and I the think point.
3: In this movie in particular, think of like all of the painstaking of model creation that went into, which would actually never, ever happen in a movie nowadays. Nobody oh, yeah. would go through the trouble of over and over again creating dozens of incredibly lifelike corpses that are just ripped to shreds. Yeah. And showing you that over and over again in a movie that's essentially supposed to be like a feel-good, like you're rooting for these hot teens to fight a war, but he can't help just keep showing you, oh, no, this is actually what the movie is about, yeah, which is just the totally senseless and loss of human life in a fascist society. Right.
4: But it's cool. That's the thing. And that's the real genius of this movie, I think, is that I think it's the only movie that I'm aware of that attempts to criticize fascism and militarized society by instead of making a movie about one of those societies, pre- trying to make a movie created by that society. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing about this movie: is this you're not supposed to think of this movie as some 20th century Amer uh, you know American Hollywood film that's about a fantasy future this is a a movie created by that society this is an artifact from the future beamed back to us this is what they would make this is the kind of art they would make and that's where the critique is because it's a lot of it is terrible on purpose and that is the thing that makes Verhoeven so fearless is that he is willing to allow the audience and critics not only to misinterpret him and say that he's a fascist, which a lot of them did, but even more terrifying uh, to think that he's a shitty filmmaker, which is the worst fear any director can have, and yet he's willing to just put fill the screen for half of the running time with these close-ups of these just blank, expressionless faces, these absolutely vacuous, slack-jawed teens looking dumber than Werner Herzog's chickens (laughs) and just saying, I love you, Johnny. And he's willing to put that on screen and willing to risk ridicule and people saying, wow, this is some cheesy bullshit in the service of presenting a thoroughgoing uh, critique and analysis of of what fascist culture creates. He says, this is what it would be. And this is what we know for a fact Goebbels uh, preferred. Uh, when the Nazis were making films. Not heavy propaganda movies that front-loaded the ideology, light entertainments, where it's, it's, a, it's a frothy romance with all... But, and, and then all of the fascist values are just sort of assumed throughout instead of put forward. And he was like, yeah, this is what they would make. And, that, and, it's, and if it feels sterile and, and, and empty and, and horrible, then that's should tell you something, <laughs> and the degree to which the the culture that you find in your society mirrors it is a degree that you which you should be pretty fucking concerned
0: <laughs> The interesting thing about that to me is that those those parallels like the um one the the meta aspect of making a movie that is just drenched in irony before irony became the cultural coin of realm is fascinating to me um But also just the specifics of the specifics of him, like, obviously casting people like Casper Van Dien, who'd like kind of can't act because those movies were made that way with people who kind of couldn't act. And, and also specifically that all fascist cinema, Triumph of the Will, all these, you know, massive Nazi movies that were made. They're literally doing exactly... Like him describing of it's a light entertainment where you put the pro-fascist, anti-Jew, whatever your message is underneath the surface, that's cockroach skimming. Like 100%. They're setting up a situation where they're only going to be, you know, passively collecting these supporters and slowly shifting the Overton window further and further and further to an extreme. It's fascinating to me. Um, For anybody who's not familiar... The movie Starship Troopers is an adaptation of the Robert Heinlein novel Starship Troopers, which is a very different novel and honestly kind of pro-fascist novel about a war with bugs in outer space told from the perspective of a Filipino um, colonial marine who wears a giant Iron Man-esque space military suit that can jump like 50 miles and has big flamethrowers and stuff and it's it's a very kind of rousing pseudo jingoistic like adventure yarn um where kind of in the same way that the chapo trap house guys are describing it as this kind of relic from a fascist timeline the Heinlein novel in a certain context kind of has that to it in a non-ironic way like Heinlein is Genuinely being like, we got to go kill the bugs. <laughs> got to enlist. Do your patriotic duty. Um, and it, it's fascinating to me that as a creative, you would be offered that job and then have this sense of self enough to say, fuck this. I'm not going to make some pro-war propaganda piece, but I will take the job and I'll make the movie a satire on pro-war pieces of shit propaganda movies. That's it. That's I love that. I love that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's really interesting. It's really interesting to have. It's like not o- it's like <clears throat> the layers, the multiple layers of like not only is it that, but the source material that it's based on. It's really interesting because, you know, I've, I've read a bunch of ha- Heinlein. I've, I've read Starship Troopers and I've read, you know, Stranger in a Strange Land. And um, it's it's interesting to even start from that source material because. It immediately has that context where I mean, I think it I think a ton of people who watched it, they probably never read the books. They probably had no idea that it was based on a book. So they they just watched it as like, you know, a, a violent sci-fi romp. They didn't they didn't see any of that satire at all. And then you have people who did read the book and, you know, they either watched it and Thought it was like a pretty good adaptation or they are or like, oh, this is nothing like the book. This is like this fucks it up and it didn't do this right and this right. So they're just it's like it's it's like it means a different thing. It means like the movie means like four different things to four different groups of people. It's like working. It's working on four levels in like double blind vacuums. And that's I, I don't know any other movie that's like that. I, I can't think of another movie that does that. I love
0: RoboCop and RoboCop is obviously the spiritual prequel like it, you know, it's RoboCop is the first movie and then the spiritual trilogy of movies that are linked by theme and Verhoeven's presence and the writers, um, although I actually don't think they wrote on uh Total Recall, but the three movies in his sci-fi trilogy are RoboCop is the first one, Total Recall is the second, Starship Troopers the third, and it's interesting how all of his movies deal with the ideas of exploitation, corporate control, governmental, um, malfeasance, fascism in various ways. You know, R- Robocop is an indictment of 80s corporate culture, right? Um, uh, it's, I mean, blatantly, like it's not a, that's not even really subtext. It's just like Robocop literally fighting the CEO of a corporation, which at the time was, you know, very, um, inventive and very cool and, and a uh, progressive and a step forward and, and, you know, radical in, in a certain context, especially for a $200 million, you know, theoretically popcorn movie. Um, but the, the idea that that prism could be built out into like, what Starship Troopers is where you're saying where it's it's got not only does it have the adaptation making fun of the original thing, but it's also got this like time travel metatextual commentary on fascism, it's fascism itself. And then it's also got the fact that it actually is a successful action movie that's purposefully made bad like that. It's all the intention on every aspect of it is just so fucking great and the fact that when it was released in 97 or whenever the fuck it was released and nobody got it makes it even funnier because that that holds the mirror up to us and says are you emotionally in tune enough to reject fascism and we were all just like what are you talking about no this isn't we don't like this what is this apparently i just turned into legs
1: no i don't know i don't even care fascism I don't even, I'm not, I don't want, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't support it. I'm just going to say it. I, I don't know if that's controversial to say, but I don't support it. <laughs> Bacon
0: and legs. The,
1: the fascism
0: episode. Bacon and legs, the fascism episode. Bacon and legs, get in here. We're gonna screen Starship Troopers for all the cops in the department, and all them gonna hate it. So we're gonna need you to open up with a cool song to calm everybody down.
1: They end up having to fight a a gang of fascist werewolves.
0: Bacon and legs. We got you. We got a case that no one can solve but you. Paul Verhoven's gone missing, and you gotta find him. I don't know, Chief. I don't know if we can find Paul Verhoven. Ever since that last run-in we had with him. I don't think he likes us very much.
1: We, we riff tracked showgirls.
0: But I mean, yeah, I guess I, it's just fascinating to me that an, a clear indictment and sardonic takedown and satirical lampooning of a fascist country couldn't be recognized by America. I think that is the most powerful statement that one could make during an artistic life.
1: Yeah, I mean, if 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 nothing, if, yeah. Because the, the interesting thing is, is that the 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 enemy are these bugs, so they're inherently dehumanized because they're not human, but they they twist that because the whole time it's like, yeah, they're just these drone bug monsters, but then they twist that at the end by revealing that the brain bug, the hive mind bug that's controlling all the bugs, is like intelligent it's hyper intelligent it's as smart as a person and then the movie ends with mph dressed as a nazi dressed as a nazi dressed as a nazi and he has telepathic powers he's an empath and uh ironically the empath uh has become the head of the military intelligence and he goes out there and he uses his powers and he turns around and he says it's scared and everyone cheers at the like the, like you know cuz within the movie they're cheering because you know they 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 realize that they have the the bug race on their knees they've shown that they that they are capable of fearing humans but you know metatextually it's like this this crowd of fascists like cheering at like like fear and suffering and the fact that you'd watch that of like this group of people dressed like nazis cheering at somebody saying it's afraid and not be like oh this is like a horrible nightmare dimension uh full of full of really terrible people Th- the very fact that nobody got that that's the commentary that's that's the statement being made and it's interesting because the
0: the art that we're discussing is explicitly made with that point it's it's a it's attempting to fight the capitalist machine through the capitalist machine right which in some ways is the only way to actually fight back because when you do fight back and it becomes corrupted by the capitalist machine and turned against you which is how you get fucking whatever that kardashian jenner kid is putting a fucking coke to a cop at a protest like fuck you But it's interesting because we've had, basically in in America, since probably the mid-70s, maybe early 80s, we've had basically 50 years of people making art about how bad the crypto corporate state is. You know, movies like They Live, Fight Club, Star Wars, Dawn of the Dead. They're all about this, the corporation is evil, capitalism is evil, it's all running our lives. They Live is literally about secret messages being put through consumer goods they live uh, uh dawn of the dead is about you know people being trapped inside a labyrinth of a mall and they and the, the idea of like that consumer culture is empty and vacuous and you know the literal metaphor of zombies going to the mall because that's what they did during their life you know star wars being about this small group of rebels attempting to stand up against the evil empire which looks like nazis like <laughs> Nazi samurai dad. Yeah, my Nazi samurai dad, yeah. You know, and and all of these all of these pieces of art that I love and definitely stir those emotions in me of like we should fight back against this system, ultimately just become adopted by the capitalist system used to make money and pay shareholders and the rich get richer and the rest of us are like, yeah, I'm so edgy with my obey john carpenter t-shirt that i also bought from the same corporation
1: yeah it's like it's like that 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 meme this is this is just gonna date this because this is such a flash in the pan thing but that that meme that was going around last week that's like already dead uh where it was like where it was like where i started where i'm at or whatever oh yeah Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. it's like where i'm where i started I'm gonna stop you, Nazi samurai dad. Where I'm at, BB Eight. Who's this other robot guy that you have with you? He looks like he'd be a cool toy. What? He has two lines in the movie, and then he just is not in the rest of the movie. Babu Frick, Hey! Yeah, I mean, and but
0: and I I. I specifically wanted to talk about this because the only end to that line, the 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 terminus of that line, is it is a Verhoeven stupe. There is no, at this point in time, unless we have a massive cultural change, which I don't foresee happening, corporations are people, movie studios make these, in air quotes, transgressive pieces of art to placate and inure the population. And make them feel like they're passively participating in some sort of change. And the only way that it can go from here is a radical restructuring of the world, which I would love, but is probably not feasible in our lifetime because of the way things are structured.
1: Or a fucking Verhoeven's toupee where everything just gets really dumb and people die for no reason. It's funny because, I mean, this it. (laughs) As I said before, this episode is going to be pretty polarizing for some people, but it's funny because this, this episode is like all of the little leftover odds and ends. It's like, it's like our bucket of like spare buttons.
0: <laughs> it's our junk drawer. It's our junk drawer episode. of like
1: all of the ideas that we've been developing in, in shades throughout the whole show. Everything, every time something comes up and it creates some kind of idea and then we discuss it off podcast, it's like all become, crystallized into this and it's funny it's it's almost like a universal theory of everything for the show because it's so funny how many different ideas and thought processes that i've had that you've had that we've had together that we've discussed have all are all have all gone into this and even things that i didn't even realize were going into this have gone into this i think ultimately this idea of to toupee is
0: something that no one can really fight against on an individual level because we're all kind of just subsumed up into it. All we can do is attempt to diagnose it as such and say, this is not normal. This is not okay. This person is cockroach skimming. These people are trying to enact fascist policies and not in the way that fascism has no meaning anymore. You know, I hesitate to say, don't use the word fascist, but it really just is literally doesn't mean anything in our society anymore.
1: Yeah. Which happens it, that, that tends to happen in cycles. Obviously, this is like the like the most extreme fucking 2020 version of it. But, you know, you know, during, you know, all throughout the Bush administration, the comparing things to Hitler just lost all meaning.
0: So I guess, you know, to kind of for my final thoughts, I guess I would just kind of say that you know, these days it really feels like we're on the precipice of something really big. And I don't even really know what that means. I just know that it really feels like we're in a in a not good spot. And the thing that for me is the darkest about it is that I know that whatever comes next, it's going to be inane and frustrating in a cartoonish, over-the-top, three-camera, NBC, primetime sitcom way. Like, can't I at least be fucking burned at the stake? Do I have to be burned at the stake with a fucking Big Bang laugh track? So, I guess to put an even more fine point on it, even though no one is going to hear this in time to actually vote, please fucking vote for future for future times where you're listening to this in, you know, the 2022 midterms. Please vote, and in 2024, please vote. We ready? We
1: we got Steve Jackson to take care of that for us.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we recorded that episode with Steve Jackson yesterday. He's already out there
1: evangelizing. That was actually funny because (laughs) whenever he did it, when we recorded the episode, it, like, got fucked up. Like, he, like, started talking too early while I was still talking. And so, like, the camera stayed on me for too long, and it just only got the tail end of it. So I literally, like, emailed him earlier today, and I was like, we don't have to do this because it's not a big deal. But, like, that recording of you saying to go vote, like, didn't work. So do you think maybe you could like send me a new one if you want to? And he was like, yeah, sure. Uh, I don't have any recording equipment. I can just get on Zoom again. And so I literally just got earlier today. I got on Zoom with Steve Jackson and he literally just said, I was like, hey, Steve. And he's like, all right. And I was like, yeah, just say it. And he was like, go vote. And I was like, thanks. Okay, bye. <laughs> it was, I love Steve Jackson, man. So that guy fucking weird. rules. <laughs>
0: that fucking rules. So, so, you know, to bring us home, final statements, Mr. D.A. Price, writer, comedian, podcast co-host and editor,
1: musician, father, human being. I thought you were just I thought you were just going to say writer of the Hillsmer's Halloween special, co-writer of the co-writer of the Ho- Hillsmer's Halloween special. That's the only that's the only credit I need. Same.
0: Me, too. D. A. Price, what are your final thoughts for this week on Verhoeven's Toupee?
1: Yeah, I mean we've 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 really went in deep on these points. I've pretty much gone into all the points. The one thing I will say is just just to echo what you what we were, what we've just said, which is like I can't stress enough certain things. I tend to find the simplest things are the ones that bear most repeating because sometimes a simple idea can be taken for granted. Of like, oh yeah, sure, of course. But no, stop and listen to this. Don't just gloss over it because it seems so common sense. Reflect on this for a little bit, more than you think you should. This idea to just not allow these things to become normalized. That is a thing that you can't come back from. It can be prevented, but once it's happened, you can't unring that bell. I I mean, at this point, I feel like there's like three or four times a week
0: where you and I text each other videos and then just with the caption
1: Verhoeven's toupee. Or not or not even the
0: caption. Yeah, not even the caption, it's just the video. And we both know that we're talking about a Verhoeven's toupee, yeah. This video, I don't know why this video is so Verhoeven's toupee to me, but it really is. And I think the aspect of it that is so Verhoeven's toupee is I'm going to show you this video and then ask you if it's real or a parody. Because it's so I feel like I know fucking. the answer
1: to that just based on the context. No, I,
0: I, it may be. Actually,
2: uh, our spot should be... I think it... Yeah, I think we can see it from here, I suppose. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, there it is.
0: Some portly man it's in a blue parka wandering around the Icelandic fjords, I suppose.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that will be safer, for sure. Yes, this asteroid is real. Uh, Asteroid 2018 VP1 will pass Earth on November 3rd. The uncertainty of its orbit is kind of what triggers us, because we're not entirely sure it will follow its nominal orbit. Sometimes I'll check Twitter just to see what people are saying about Oreos. On October 3rd, I came across a tweet unlike any I had ever seen before. It said, asteroid coming for Earth, who will save the Oreos?
2: I've been in the cookie business for 22 years. I've never had a chance like this.
3: Then we heard about this thing in Svalbard, Norway. It's called the Global Seed Vault. They store all of the seeds for humanity in case of a huge disaster.
2: I received a call with a strange request from Oreo uh, to build a, a vault that works just like the Global Seed Vault. But instead of having two years to construct it, I had to be finished within 30 days. These uh, global vault opportunities uh, don't come around too often, so so I accept it.
3: So, Marcus, let's let's go back to the timeline. Have you picked a site yet to build the vault?
2: Yes, kind of. We, uh, I think the third one that that we just found is is um, uh, that that's perfect. So yeah, probably yes. The most important thing about finding a good site is. Um, hey,
0: they just saw a fucking polar bear
2: (sighs) a polar bear that's the first (sighs) I'm thinking more about the the door because you know when you open a door you you would I would prefer open it with with my right arm instead of the left arm the door is oh sorry Okay, now can, yeah, no, can, I think
4: don't don't touch the model please. He's very talented in his work and I'm very confident that we will uh, get this job done.
2: Men där You hi. well? Yeah, yeah, everything is uh, going uh, perfect. So on, on time and on schedule. So um I don't think yeah. that we should leave this meeting until we figure out the lock situation. I think that this is and the construction. Is it right? with I that. think maybe maybe we should take five minutes. Yeah, have have a breather. Uh, okay. So uh, yeah, let's take five. Uh, do I enjoy my work? Uh, yes, because it's important. I'd hate for the world to to lose Oreo cookies. It's a, it's a big responsibility. Quick but uh, gentle. <laughs> okay, gentle. <laughs> I do think about failure, but I think that I will not be a failure this time. We were, we were going to build it here, but it doesn't matter. This place is, is it's nice, but it's also played out. They even have a parking lot here. I'm so excited. I haven't seen it since they poured the concrete.
4: That's where the vault is, yeah? Up
2: see me I think I'm always confident I'm always on top of things. But really behind all this it's just a I guess a s- scared little boy. I'm conflicted. I mean it, it would be a shame for the world to end but it's a pretty good vault.
0: a super that just came over the screen that says in case of the apocalypse go to these coordinates with a bunch of coordinates you'll see it it's the one down the road from the giant seed vault
1: i'm gonna say this is is the first thing i would do i kind of feel like this is not the real oreo youtube channel but there's a lot of videos so i kind of feel like it would be insane if they went through the trouble of uploading a bunch of fake videos just to make it seem like a real page if it is real it's obviously some kind of international oreo page because it's like in different languages and stuff like that i don't know i can't tell if this is a real promotional campaign for oreo or just like some weird abstract art piece that somebody made
0: and i think that's the perfect place to end because in a Hovind's toupee it's really fucking hard to tell fact from fiction i'm dave baker and i'm andrew price this has been deep cuts you can find me on the internet at heydavebaker.com where you can find books like Fuck Off Squad and Action Hospital, which I have to say, I'm really excited about the fact that um, a lot of people have been picking up Action Hospital uh, on the site, and I'm assuming they're listeners because, let's be real, that book doesn't sell as well as some of my other books, and that means a lot because I worked really hard on it, so thank you to everyone who has gotten a copy of my weird book. Experimental comic about people working in a hospital in the future. I appreciate it. Andrew, where can people find you on the internet?
1: You can find me obsessively refreshing the review page on our podcast, <laughs> waiting for all the hate we're going to get from this one. And you can also find me at dapricewrites.com where you can find my book Deadbolt AI Private Eye, which I've got to say nobody's fucking buying it. You can all you can all <laughs> go fuck yourselves. <laughs> oh
0: man. All right, let's go. Let's go fucking curl up into a ball and
1: wait for these election results or for the cannon fire to finally shoot through your window.